Good morning, Gulfside Church. How you guys doing today? Awesome. Everyone have a good Thanksgiving? All right. How many people have not stepped on a scale since Thursday? Fantastic. Me too. Um, my name is Pastor Daniel. Uh, I am from Houston, Texas. Uh, I was here preaching several months back. Uh, Pastor Paul's a really dear friend of mine. Uh, he's out of town today, so he asked me to uh, come in and uh, minister to you guys. And before I do, um, if you guys don't remember me from the last time I'm here, let me introduce myself again. I'll show you a picture of my family on the screen behind me because I read an article that said that people are more statistically likely to enjoy you as a public speaker if you show them a picture of your kids. So a little light manipulation to start the service off today. Um, that's my wife, Ashley, standing there next to me. My oldest son, Roman, he is 11. Micaiah is the kid dancing with the glasses. Uh, he just turned 10 recently. And Titus is our third child and the reason why we don't have a fourth. He turns seven next week, so we're really excited um, for that. Uh, have a great family. We uh, were living in Southwest Florida, Lehigh Acres specifically, uh, pastoring out there for many years, and then we traveled to uh, the Houston, Texas metro area to plant a church. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but Gulfside has actually invested in our church. The last time I came, you guys uh, sowed into our ministry a very generous offering for us. And I want to let you guys know that that is being put to good use. I want to show you a picture of the building that we secured. Um, it's a James Reese Technical Center in Sugarland, Texas. Um, seats about 700 people. It's a brand new building built in 2019. Nobody's ever rented it out before. And we were able to secure that in large part due to uh, churches like you guys that gave generously. Uh, we opened January 28th. We're very, very excited about it. Um, an interesting piece of information about this building, we just secured it two weeks ago. Um, but about five months ago, I had a lady that um, moves prophetically. And uh, she reached out to me and she said, hey, uh, I, was playing, I was praying for you guys in the city of Sugarland, and, um, and, and, and God brought to my heart a, a story and I looked it up and I wanted to send it to you um, because I believe it's going to be significant for your church. And she told me that there was a building that was being built in Sugarland, and as they were digging, they found graves of African slaves that were uh, buried in unmarked graves there. And it stirred up a big racial controversy in the city. And um, she said, uh, God showed me that and told me that you're going to bring racial reconciliation to the city, and you're also going to bring life to a city that's known for graves. And that story is going to be significant to your church. She's like, I don't know how it connects, but it will connect. Turns out the building that we just secured, I did some research on it recently. It's the building that they were building when they found that. So we're hearing so many crazy stories um, in our church already of like God just showing up in ways where you know like God's got his hand on this. And I wanted to show you guys another picture. Um, we're doing outreaches in our community. Um, this is in our town square. We, uh, we built a mascot. His name's Charlie the Cheetah. We take him into the town square and we interact with people. And we have seen hundreds and hundreds of people uh, express interest in the church. And I'll go to the next uh, picture. Um, this is at one of our uh, interest party launch team meetings. Um, and just so you guys know where we are right now, we have about 240 people that have committed to being a part of Momentum Church as we open up the doors. That would not have happened without people like you guys sewing into it and churches like Gulfside that believed enough in the Great Commission to actually help establish churches in other states. And so I want to encourage you guys, when you give, you're not just giving to this church here and what God's doing in Cape Coral, you're giving to a church that's starting in Houston, Texas, which 
is the fourth largest, soon to be the third largest metro in the United States um, of America. There's so much need out there. There's so many opportunities for God to reach people. And we're seeing miracles happen. We've had five salvations in the lobby of a Starbucks praying for people to receive Jesus already. And we haven't even opened the doors of our church. God is doing incredible things. So I wanted to thank you guys. And I know our team thanks you too. Uh, Pastor Paul asked me to preach today and I asked him if you guys were in a series because last time I came, you were in a series and I had to preach a message and he's like, dude, preach whatever you want, Um, which is really, really great because I have some heresy that I want to bring out to you guys and uh, just see if it passes muster before I preach it at my church. Just kidding. I'm not doing that. Um, but uh, it's, it's really liberating when a pastor says, preach whatever you want, because then I, 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 get, to, I get to actually pray about it and, and feel what I feel the Holy Spirit would want me to bring. And I have a message that I actually don't really enjoy preaching, but I really felt the Holy Spirit putting it on my heart to bring to you today. And I think it's important because right now we live in a divided world. Can you guys acknowledge that? The world that we live in is divided and it needs healing. And, 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 and there's a lot of what I would classify as contention, what I would classify as uh, dishonor, what I would classify as division. And it reminds me of a time when I was a kid and I had a cousin that was a brat. Anybody in here, you had cousins, not you, your cousins that were brats, okay? Your parents raised you right, but your cousins were messed up. My cousin was a brat, and I remember one time, it was my birthday, my aunt took me to Toys R Us, y'all remember Toys R Us? She took me to Toys R Us, and she let me pick out a toy, and my cousin threw a fit because he wasn't allowed to pick out a toy on my birthday. Threw a massive fit. Anybody, you remember Toys R Us for the toys, but also for the fits that you saw in the aisles. My cousin was one of the poster childs of fits. He threw a royal tantrum screaming and yelling in the middle of this Toys R Us, causing a ruckus. And we go out to the car and he's still throwing a fit. He's kicking his mom. He's screaming. He's yelling at her. He's being the most disrespectful cretin you've ever seen in your life. And he climbs into the back seat of the car and he sits down. He crosses his arm and everybody buckles and we get ready to drive away in my aunt's minivan. And she looks in the rearview mirror and she goes, honey, you need to buckle the seatbelt. And he said, no, you can't make me. And she says, you need to buckle right now. He's like, I'm not going to listen to you. She said, honey, if you don't buckle, mommy's going to get a ticket. He says, good, I hope they take you to jail. He said, you're a horrible mother. And she says, sweetie, I need you to buckle your seatbelt. He said, I'm not going to buckle my seatbelt until you snuggle me and tell me you're sorry. And I'm just sitting back there because I'm like, dude, if I did that, my dad would spank the sound out of my body. You know those spankings. When they hit so hard, you can't even scream. It's just whoop. You thought you had your lungs full of oxygen, but your lungs were able to absorb more oxygen. That's how hard you got spanked. And you can't even cry. It hurts so bad. That's the kind of beating I would have got. And my cousin just tells us to my mom, I'm like, I'm about to lose a cousin. He's dead. It's over. And my aunt looks in the rearview mirror and she goes, all right, sweetie, hop like a bunny. Come up to the front. Let mommy give you a hug. He hops up. She gives him a hug. She apologizes for setting boundaries, for being a parent, for setting rules. And he goes back and buckles his seatbelt as if nothing happened. And I remember that was my first experience with dishonor that I remember in my life. And we look around in culture and we recognize that we live in a culture and a society of dishonor. Am I right or am I wrong? We live in a culture of dishonor. How people interact with police officers is dishonorable. You all know, like you, you, you can point a finger at somebody else, but the minute you get pulled over, that cop's an idiot. Am I right? What's he talking about? 
I was going 65 and a 20. Teachers, I mean, anybody in here in education, students are dishonorable today, aren't they? I was a substitute teacher for a while. Literally, some of the worst behavior I've ever seen in my life was in the school district. People in positions of authority, anytime there's an election, we know the worst side of everybody in our family is going to come out. Why? Because we show dishonor to people in positions of authority. Uh, you know that social media is a toxic place. Why? Because people air their dirty laundry. I know more about your marriage than I should. Thank you. Because we feel comfortable sharing these private details, these things that are nobody else's business, those passive-aggressive memes that we know who you're talking about, Music today, music is all about dishonoring people. Every lyric of every song is, is, is degrading to women. It's degrading to culture. It's degrading to authority. And so today I want to talk about a controversial conversation if I can. If I could talk about something controversial, I want to talk about honor. Can I do that today? Do I have your guys' permission? Say, go for it, Pastor. We sow seeds of honor in every interaction that we have. And what you sow, the Bible says you will reap. You sow seeds of honor in every interaction you have. You sow seeds of honor when you're at the gas station, when you're talking to your server, when you're checking out at the grocery store. And the Bible is very specific on honor. Now, I have a question for us this morning. It's who do we honor? Look at your neighbor and say, who do we honor? First Peter chapter, I'm an interactive guy. If you guys aren't interacting, like we're gonna, it's gonna be a long service. I'm just gonna take more time because I'm gonna think you're asleep. I need you guys to interact today. Can you guys say Amen. Awesome, cool. First Peter chapter 2, verses 17, it says this, honor all people. Everybody say all people. Look at your neighbor and say all people. Look at your other neighbor and say, I got to honor you. You got to honor me. Some of you guys said you got to honor me with a little bit more oomph on it than I got to honor you. I heard that. You think I can't hear that up here? But I can. It says honor all people. Somebody say all people. It says, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. In other words, honor in every direction without exception. You honor up, you honor down, you honor all around. This is what the children of God, the people of God, are commanded to do. Honor in every direction without exception. This verse says, from the king to the pauper. Now, here's the thing. Like, generally speaking... We don't have a problem honoring people that we perceive as being in positions worthy of honor, but what about when it's somebody that you perceive as being beneath you? That's really where the test of honor comes in, and that's really the test of whether or not the Spirit of God is producing fruit in your life, because if you're able to show honor in every direction without exception, that is a fruit of the Spirit. That is indicative that the Holy Spirit is inside of you, causing you to live in a way that is contrary to culture. We honor in every direction without exception. If I don't learn to give it to those who deserve it the least, I will continue to live in an environment that is void of its presence. If I can't give it to somebody that doesn't deserve it, there's not going to be any honor in my atmosphere. I can point it in one direction, but if it's not pointed in the other direction, it is not an ecosystem that I live in. It's just something that I point in a direction. Does that make sense this morning, church? And I don't know about you, but I want to live in an ecosystem of honor. I want to live in an atmosphere of honor. I want to live in such a way that when I walk into a room, everybody experiences honor in the way that I want to experience honor. What's the golden rule? To do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In other words, if you're worthy of honor, so are they. 
in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27, it tells us God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You know what's interesting to me is it says he created them three times in one passage of Scripture. It's two sentences, and he says the same thing three times. I don't believe that God wastes words in his word. I believe when he says something three times, it's because he wants us to pay attention. Any parents in the room, you know what I'm talking about. Clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. We say it multiple times because we want our kids to understand that we actually said something. And if you're a parent, you know, by the third time you say it, your kids are just starting to understand you said something. And this is the way it is in scripture too. God created them, he created them, he created them. Three has significance in the Bible because it's the number of perfect completion. So I believe that it's in there three times because God created us perfectly the way that he designed us to be. God created them. In other words, if God made them, they are worthy of honor. If God made them, they are worthy of honor. If God made them, see, I said it three times, they're worthy of honor. Treat people according to the names that God gave them, not the aliases that they received from the world. The world's going to give you an alias. How many people in here today, you've been assigned a label or an alias by culture? You've been signed a a label or an alias by a family member. People have called you worthless. People have called you stupid. People have called you fat. People have called you ugly. People have called you good for nothing. These are aliases, but they're not your identity. These are labels that have been affixed to you, but they're not what the creator assigned you. Are you with me this morning, church? And a culture of honor is created when we discern and receive people according to their God-given identities. We don't have a culture of honor if I'm receiving you the way the world labeled you. We don't have a kingdom culture if I'm interacting with you based on your alias. But we can have a culture of honor when I'm interacting with you, when I'm receiving you, when I'm connecting with you according to your God-given identity. When I look at you and see you the way that God sees you, all of a sudden the ecosystem of honor is starting to form. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. This is in the Bible, and we hate this verse. We hate this verse. Because it reminds us that when I come to church, if I have a leader, if I have a pastor, if I have someone that's speaking into my life, they're not just worthy of honor, they're worthy of double honor. And if you respond to me, well, pastor, everybody's worthy of double honor. I actually did a study in the Bible. This is the only time in the entire Bible that it says that somebody is worthy of double honor. The only time in the Bible that it says that somebody is worthy of double honor. I believe that that's significant. I believe it's because God wants to use your leaders. God wants to use your pastors. God wants to use the prophets. God wants to use the priests. God wants to use them to instruct you, to help you, and to move life forward for you if you will show them not just the honor that we're supposed to show everybody else, but an extra portion of honor on top of the honor that we already have to give you as an image bearer of God. Now, why do we honor? It's important to understand why. I I just taught you for a moment who we honor, but now we talk about why we honor. Why is it important to honor? The word honor is mentioned nearly 150 times in the Bible, so I would say that that's very important to God. Again, parents, if you have to say something 150 times to your kids, it's significant. You want them 
to get it. How important is it though? Matthew chapter 15 verses 4 says this, For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. What? What did I just read? Anybody that curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Can you imagine if, like, if God actually just followed through with this passage of Scripture today? Can you imagine like, how much emptier this church would be? There'd be like three kids in any high school in the country. Are you with me? No, but that's why Toys R Us are closed, because all the kids died, you know? Like this, <laughs> can you imagine? God takes honor seriously. There's a passage of scripture in the Old Testament where God, there's the Ark of the Covenant and God asked them to interact with it in an honorable way. And a man just absentmindedly put his hand on it in a dishonorable way and he died. God takes honor seriously. It's, it's literally a life or death situation. Exodus chapter 20, verses 12 says, Honor your father and mother, and you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. What I take from that is that dishonor equals death, but honor equals life. When we honor, we actually experience Life, it's the only command that comes with a promise. If you honor, you will live a long life. Now, that's not to say that you're going to live to 99 years old and that arthritis is never going to touch you. But what it's saying, I believe, is it's a principle. If I honor my parents, then what that means is that I can receive instruction and now I can get through life in a way that is going to facilitate me living longer. When I hear a rule, I've already learned to obey my parents. So when somebody tells me not to speed, I've learned the principle of honor, so I'm not going to drive recklessly. Are you with me? I, I, when, I, when I learn to heed my parents' instruction, when I go to get a job, I'm actually going to interact with my boss in a way that's going to facilitate me keeping my job. If you honor, you'll have a long life. If you dishonor, you don't. There's another passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, likewise, husbands. Everybody say, likewise. Actually, can I get all the wives? I want you to look at your husbands and say, likewise. You know why it says, likewise? Because the, it says, likewise, husbands, because the verses that preceded that were for the women. And here's the interesting thing. As individuals, men, honestly, how many, how many people you've ever heard a man say, wives, submit to your husbands? I want to smack you upside the face when I hear that. Your wife does too. Here's the thing. When you say that, you are holding out the verses that apply to her and you're omitting the verses that apply to you. And there's always a likewise when it comes to a command. God's not going to command the husbands to honor the wives and not the wives to honor the husbands. It works both ways. We read that verse, uh, the children honor your parents. There's also a verse in the Bible that says, parents, don't provoke your children. So are, are, are you with me this morning, church? Like, you can't just be a parent that is authoritarian and dictatorial and cruel and abusive, and you tell, the Bible says, honor me or you're going to die. You're provoking your children. So likewise, parents, don't provoke your children to anger. Likewise, children, honor your parents so you can have a prosperous life. Likewise, husbands. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of God so that your prayers may not be hindered. 
This is how important honor is. If I don't honor my wife, my prayers aren't making it to the throne. I remember one time early on in our marriage when I was a particular bonehead. Now I'm just like a run-of-the-mill bonehead. But early on in my marriage, I was, I was an exceptional idiot. And I remember one time I got into a disagreement with my wife. And I just decided I wasn't going to talk to her until she acted right. Any married folks ever try this maneuver? Brilliant strategy. And I remember we went for like a day or two of no talking. And I remember after like two days of no talking, I see some couples looking at each other. Yeah, I'm preaching to you right now. Come on. We're for a day or two of no talking. And, and literally on the second day, I, I, I go in my room and I'm praying. And I, 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 let me know if you've prayed this prayer if I'm the only one. God, change them. God, I need you to bring a divine revelation to my spouse that she is being stupid. God, if you can just speak to her heart and show her the error of her ways. And as I'm praying this prayer, I literally had God lead me to this passage of scripture. And it says, husbands, honor your wives so your prayers will not be hindered. And I realized in that moment, the prayer I'm praying to God is bouncing off of a ceiling called dishonor. It's bouncing off of a ceiling called dishonor. God is not going to have a conversation with me if I am not honoring the woman that he gave to me and called me to lead and pastor well and to lay my life down for her the way that Christ laid his life down for the church, though the church didn't deserve it, he loved. This is the way I'm called to love my wife. And if I'm sitting back there in arrogance and pride, praying that God changes her, what I need to be doing is God change me. Are you with me? This is the prayer that I ought to be praying, but I'm praying the wrong prayer. And what's happening is my relationship with God is never going to flourish. It's never going to prosper. It's never going to move forward. It's never going to thrive because my prayers are hindered by a ceiling of dishonor. Accurately acknowledging who people are will position us to give them what they deserve and receive the gift of who they are in our lives. If I don't honor my wife as I ought to, I can't receive the gift of her being the other half of me. The two become one flesh. We're now functioning separately. So I don't, I don't receive the benefit of being a unified flesh if I'm dishonoring the person that God joined me together with. There's another passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 10, verses 41 through 42. It says, if you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. When you honor somebody, you position yourself to receive from them. It says if you receive somebody as a prophet, you'll receive the reward of a prophet. Remember that, remember that conversation I had with that lady earlier when I told you about our building? She gave me a word from God, and I received it as a word from God. And then when I found the, the connecting tissue, there was such confirmation and such blessing and such, such affirmation in me, in our mission, in the city of Houston. There was so much confidence that God welled up inside of me. Why? Because I received it as a word from God, from somebody that was speaking prophetically into my life. But can you imagine if I just wrote her off, I wouldn't have been able to receive anything from that word. And then when I discovered the connecting thread, I would have written it off as a coincidence or happenstance. 
Has anybody ever done that before? You're not able to receive from somebody if you don't honor them. Just recently, me and my wife were at a thing in San Diego, and, and uh, it was for pastors, and there was a pastor that was speaking. And can I just be honest with you? I'm a pastor. I preach a lot. I'm in church all the time. If you can't grab my imagination, I check out. And this guy was the, the dry, you remember, uh, what was it, the dry eyes guy from back in the day? Dry eyes. That's how he preached. And I, I just halfway through, he's preaching for like 45 minutes, like, and in Second Timothy. And I was just like, oh. And my wife sat next to me. She's like, did you get bad news? And I'm like, no, he's boring. And I cannot tell you what that man preached about. I cannot tell you what happened in that service. I cannot tell you anything about it. Why? Because I dishonored him. But then I met with some of my friends who were there afterwards, and they're like, man, I got so much out of that message. That was a paradigm-shifting moment for me. And I was like, oh, man, if only I would have maintained an attitude of honor towards that man, I might have been able to get something out of it instead of just wasting an hour of my time. When you honor somebody, you position yourself to receive from them. Matthew chapter 13, verses 57 through 58 says this, And coming to his hometown, Jesus taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Not that Judas, different Judas. And not, are not all of his sisters with us? And where did this man get all of these things? So they took offense at Jesus. Think about that. They took offense at Jesus. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and his own household. Listen to this, verse 58. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. The previous chapter, he is in Capernaum and he healed everybody. Not a single person that came to Jesus in Capernaum did not receive a healing, but nobody in his hometown. It said he did, he did not do many mighty works there. So he did almost zero in his hometown. What was the difference? They showed no honor. A few passages later, a Roman centurion comes to Jesus and, and, and says, Master, you don't even need to come to my house. You can heal from here. You don't even need to show up because that's who you are. And he receives his healing. Because this man comes with double honor he's able to receive from the Messiah. The people in Capernaum came to Jesus with honor. They were able to receive the miraculous that they pursued. But the people in his hometown, they couldn't get anything. They were amazed by his wisdom and they still discredited him. Why? Because they knew him growing up. Like he's not the Messiah. He's just JC. Are you with me? That's just Jesus. That's, just, that's Jesus. It's important to understand, Jesus never stopped operating in his giftings. They just couldn't receive it because they couldn't perceive it. They couldn't receive it because they couldn't perceive it. They couldn't see the anointing on Jesus' life. They couldn't see the purpose. They couldn't see the divine splendor on him. They couldn't see the magnificence. They couldn't see the glory. They couldn't see the wisdom. They couldn't see the power. They couldn't perceive it, so they couldn't receive it. He came clothed in power, but they couldn't see past his identity. Whose gifting are you missing in your life because of nothing more than your perception of them? 
Who is God trying to use to deposit into your life? But you're not receiving it because you can't perceive it. You've discredited them. You've turned your ears off to them. You've turned down honor when their voice speaks. You've unplugged from the purpose that God tried to deposit them into your life for. Whoever you honor is able to deposit into your life, but whoever you dishonor is lost to you. They can't give you anything good. They can't give you anything good. The minute that you lose honor for them, they are no longer able to deposit anything into your life of value. And many of us, we show up to church and we receive knowledge, but not the miraculous, because many of us, God has our attention, but not our honor. And so we come to church and we walk away educated, but not changed. And we walk away from church like, I'm just not being fed there. I'm not, pastor's message was a little dry today. Be perfect. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. How many guys you ever left? You're like, that message was dry. I didn't get anything out of today. You probably won't. Because you're showing up expecting it to be all about you and it's not, it's all about Jesus. And if you came here every single day being like, Jesus, how do I lift you up? How do I put you on the throne? How do I, God, deposit something? Today is the day. This is the moment. God, you're going to speak to me today. God, I believe it. I'm showing up expectant. I'm showing up ready. I'm showing up humbled. Less of me, more of you. I promise you, you'll get something else out of it. Are you with me? Because can I be perfectly honest? Unless your pastor is like one of the top 1% of preachers in the world, I'm sure that almost all of his messages are pretty dry. My messages are pretty dry. Every pastor's messages are pretty dry. The thing that saturates them in strength and power is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can only do a work in you if you are in a position where you are honoring enough to receive it. It's just a dude up here preaching. We all know that. But it's when we come and put honor on the platform and put honor on the position that God has called that person to occupy and say, God's going to use you today to deposit something into me. Now you're able to get something you never thought possible. An absence of honor is an obstacle to the supernatural. It is a barrier. It stops the supernatural from being able to move. Honor is the conduit through which life and miracles flow. Just like metal is a conductor of electricity, I believe that honor is a conductor of the miraculous. There was one time uh, when I was growing up in church, I, I grabbed, um, I, grabbed a, a micro, I had a microphone in my hand that had an exposed wire on it. And we were in a different country, so it was 240 volts. And I was walking around holding the microphone and there was no problem at all. I'm walking around holding the microphone. I'm talking because I have shoes that have prevented me from getting electrocuted, rubber soles or whatever it was. I wasn't getting electrocuted. I'm walking around. And then at some point, I go to grab a mic stand, and I grab the mic stand, and I got the shock of my life. Knocked me flat on my back. Why? Because metal is a conductor of electricity. Honor is a conductor of the miraculous. God cannot get a miracle to you if you have the rubber of dishonor insulating your soul. But if you are clothed in honor, the miraculous can find you. You want a breakthrough, you've got to have a breakup with dishonor. A move of God is impossible where there is no honor because only Satan has jurisdiction over rebellion. Satan is the one that has jurisdiction over rebellion. So if you're experiencing rebellious 
hearts, rebellious thoughts, rebellious actions, dishonorable uh, dispositions towards people that you should be honoring, you have to ask yourself, where is this coming from? Is this of God? The anger that I feel towards you, the indignation that I feel towards what you just said, the offense I took with how you presented that, where does that come from? Is this righteous or is it unrighteous? And I want to let you know something this morning that pride always precedes an offense. We cannot honor if we're proud. If we're proud, we're a couple steps away from being offended. An offense always precedes dishonor, and dishonor always precedes rebellion. Dishonor always comes out of an offense. You look at every story in the Bible where somebody behaved in a dishonorable way, it came from an offense. It came from a root of bitterness that sprung up, as the Bible says, and defiled many. We read the story of Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel, which was dishonorable and rebellious, and he did this because he took offense that Abel's offering was favored more than Cain's. A small slight, a small offense. We look at the story of, of Noah after the flood. The Bible tells us that Noah's sons came in and found Noah just smashed, drunk, and naked on his bed. And Noah's son, Ham, got offended, the Bible says, when he saw his father's nakedness. I want to let you know something this morning, church. There's, there's, everybody has some flesh you're going to see somewhere. Are you with me? Ham came in, how dare my father be nude? You're going to experience somebody that's in a position of authority or a position of honor in your life, and you're going to encounter their flesh at some point if you're around long enough. You're going to encounter it. And it, when you encounter somebody's flesh, it is offensive. But the question is, how are you going to respond when you see their flesh? The Bible says that Ham went in and laughed at his father and criticized his father and point out his father's failure and shortcomings. And the other brothers came in, backs turned, and covered their father's nakedness. How are you going to respond when you see somebody who is in a position of honor and you see a bit of flesh? Are you going to point it out? Are you going to use that as justification for your lack of honor? Or are you going to do the honorable thing and help cover that? Aaron and Miriam get offended at Moses' mixed race marriage. We're supposed to be set apart, Moses, don't you know? And you married somebody that's not of our blood. Absalom was offended at David's justice. He said, if I were the king, I would do things differently. Have you ever been offended with a call that one of your leaders made or maybe a call that your pastor made? If I were in charge, I would do things differently. One of the greatest lies of the enemy is that you don't have to honor somebody if you don't feel that they are worthy of honor. And we do this all the time in culture. We honor somebody to the point where we disagree with them. And then the moment that we disagree with them, we're like, okay, I'm now justified in not honoring you anymore. This is a lie of the enemy. It's the same lie that got him kicked out of heaven because Satan thought that he could do a better job than God. So as long as God was doing things that Satan was in agreement with, Satan was content. We don't know how long Satan was in heaven. 
But as long as God was doing things that Satan agreed with, it was fine. But then there reached a point where Satan thought he could do better and he stopped honoring the creator and he had to be cast down as a result of it. And I just want to let you know, like, at some point, God's going to put somebody unqualified in authority over you to test your spirit and your capacity to honor. Somebody is going to be put in a position of authority. Anybody in here, you're working with somebody that has less experience than you, and they're in a position of supervision over you. You're like, who is this young buck? I have been here for 15 years. Like, honestly, I feel like that's why God put me as a pastor sometimes. We, we haven't even opened the doors of our church, and there's already people in our church that know more than me, that are more educated than me, that have been Christians longer than me, that have been alive longer than me, that have been in ministry longer than me. There's literally a guy in our city that is a biblical historian and theologian and has more degrees than Fahrenheit. Maybe I'm there for a reason so that they can actually learn and grow in an attitude and atmosphere of honor. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep a watch over you as those who must give an account to God. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden for that will be of no benefit to you. I wanna encourage you, Pastor Paul's not here. I can say this because he told me I could preach whatever I wanted. Your pastor loves you more than you realize. Me and Pastor Paul talk all the time. He's a dear friend. He's one of my best friends. He is such a good man to me. And he talks so much about Gulfside Church and Cape Coral and his heart for the city, his heart for this community. He loves this church. And one day, here's the weighty part of being a pastor. One day he's gonna stand in front of God and give an account for your souls. As the pastor, you're not gonna have to do that for anybody else at Gulfside. You're giving an account for you. He's giving an account for all of you. Can you do him the honor of allowing him to give that account with joy? God, this was a great church. God, they, thank you. They believed in me even when I was made mistakes, even when I didn't do things right, even when I had a bad day, even if they saw a little bit of flesh, God, they never gave up. And God, in joy and in gratitude and in thanksgiving, I'm here to give an account. So how do we honor? Romans chapter 12, verses 10 says, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourself. In other words, outdo one another in showing honor. Kingdom culture is a culture of honor. That means husbands, honor your wives. Wives, honor your husbands. Children, honor your parents. Parents, honor your children. Citizens, honor your leaders. Church, honor your pastors. Team leaders, honor your volunteers. Honor in every direction without exception. And when we do, I believe that miracles happen in our midst. I believe miracles happen in your marriage when you honor each other. I believe miracles will happen with your children when you honor them. I believe miracles can happen every single Sunday when you show up to church if you come up with an atmosphere, with an expectation, with a standard of honor. 
If you guys can, can you close your eyes with me this morning? I just want us to pray together. Father, I lift up Gulfside Church to you. I'm so thankful for this house. I'm thankful for its leaders. I'm thankful for its pastors. Thank you for Pastor Paul and Tia, Father God. I love them so much. I'm thankful for the honor that they've shown me and my wife, God, in difficult times. In every season, God, they've been there. And God, I believe that you want to do great things in this church, God. I believe that you want to do great things in Cape Coral, Father. I believe you want to do great things in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our careers, Father. And God, I pray that right now, Father God, we, we stop being like the, the people in the hometown of, of, of Jesus, Father God, where we, we don't receive the miraculous. God, but let us be like the centurion. Let us be like the people of Capernaum, Father God. Let us be a people that are able to receive everything that you have for us because we show up expectant and ready to receive, Father. And God, I pray right now, God, I speak against pride. I speak against offenses. I I speak against uh, dishonor. I speak against rebellion, God. Whatever is taking root in our hearts, God, that we would love one another and think of each other as greater than ourselves, God. God, I pray that right now, God, husbands and wives are sitting next to each other and they're thinking of ways that they can lay down the offenses that they've taken on so that they could love one another more. If you're sitting in this room today, everybody's head is bowed, everybody's eye is closed, but you're sitting in here and you need God to do a work in your heart when it comes to the subject of honor. If you could lift your hand up just so that we can pray together and just acknowledge I need that in my life. I need to grow in this area. I need to humble myself. I need less of me and more of God. God, I lift up each and every person in this room, Father. God, and I pray, Father God, that that as they were humble enough to lift up their hand and say, I need to grow in this area, Father, the Holy Spirit produces fruitfulness in that area of their life, God. Whatever offense they're hanging on to, they lay it down today, Father. And that this morning is a moment, a monument of change, that they'll be able to look back on this day and recognize that this was a day that you began a new work in them. And I, I... just unleash the miraculous into this space, into this atmosphere, God, believing that you're going to show up, God, that you're going to move, God, that you're going to change hearts and lives, God, and that fruitfulness will flow from this house, Father. We give you thanks and praise for everything. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You guys, we're going to have the worship team close us out with a song this morning. God bless you guys.